I'm a hot rod man. Yeah, I'm a hot rod man. Look out, little mama, gonna get you if I... Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer, coming to you from Cat Swamp Road. And I have a couple of cat family members here with me today. Let me twist my head away from this, uh, whatever, this reflective filter, they call it, which uh, is like a shield in front of me. Uh Uh-oh, F-A-I-T-H just woke up. So that means I'm going to be getting good with the pause button again, getting some pause button experience. So hopefully, God willing, everyone is doing fine. It's hard to believe that we're already almost to Thanksgiving that I believe next week will be Thanksgiving. So uh, that is amazing how fast this year is flying by. So I guess, uh, what can you do? I'm done Turbo Boost. And uh, let me see what else I want. To t- obviously, I'm hoping everything is going well with you in your life. And if you are, I'm sure many of you are in harvest. And if you are in harvest right now, well, I'd like to know how you're making out. How's the? How are your yields? Um, on the crops you're bringing in, how is everything going? How is the uh, equipment running? So I would love to hear some harvest updates. So, oh dear, oh there it goes. Hello, it's Faithy. Hello, Faithy. Hello, Faithy. <laughs> it doesn't take long, right? So let me see what she's going to do, because uh, she likes to jump up here, and uh, they all like to do M-O-L-L-Y is sleeping, and I don't know where Faithy went, but she will pop up like a uh, like a jack-in-a-box and right onto the soundboard and then possibly knock everything over. I'm just going to turn my head away from the mic. Right, I don't know where she is. She's, <clears throat> she's being elusive. You know, I've lived out in the country on the farm, and over the years, we've had this farm since long before I was born. My family, and I've said this to you before, has bought this farm, or my family purchased this farm in 1954. So I've never known anything but this farm. But uh, I did not, well, the other, let me just, let me put this, let me back up so there's some context to this, so it makes sense. The other night, M-O-L-L-Y, I'm saying, not saying her name because she's sleeping on the chair, and I don't want to wake her up. And she came in and, and it was, I'm not going to say it was late. I mean, it was way past dark. It was maybe 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night. And she came in and she had a, excuse me, I would say a teenage baby squirrel. And I've never seen a squirrel at this size. I've seen baby, baby squirrels, practically newborns, because years ago, our dog, Wendy, found a nest with them. I don't know where she found it because I thought they were in a tree unless they fell out of the nest or something. But she came with this this teenage young squirrel and I thought squirrels sleep at night. That's what I'm saying. I was been in the country my whole life and I thought squirrels sleep at night but M-O-L-L-Y came in with this tea. Okay, okay, where are you? Mar- oh, that's Faithy. Hold on for a minute. Faithy, where are you? Show yourself, please. I don't know where she is. <laughs> but anyway, came in with this Oh, brother. Oh, there you are, Faithy. Okay, and uh, baby, <laughs> I'm not laughing at the poor baby squirrel. And uh, now I don't know whether they killed the baby squirrel during the day and had it hidden someplace and figured they're going to sneak it into the house at night. 
So anyway, so Malik, I uh, said his name, comes in with this deceased young squirrel, uh, teenage juvenile squirrel, poor thing. And then she had it in the house in a basement here, in the floor where my office is, the concrete basement. It's not a finished basement. <clears throat> and uh, then what happened is that Hank wanted to come in a couple of minutes later. So I opened the door to let Hank in, and then he run, he's running in, and then all of a sudden he hits the brakes because he sees the baby's, the young squirrel, dead squirrel on the floor. So Hank decides he's going to eat it. So Hank loves his wild game. He's not a good hunter that I know of, but uh, he can. he's a decent hunter. But So he decides, I said to him, Hank, you got the best food here. So he decided to eat the baby squirrel, or young squirrel. So he did that, and then I said, oh, God, I said the shot. Now he's going to be thrown up all night with the first. So he left, not to be gross, he left the tail, and he left most of the head and ate the rest of it. But he did not seem to get sick, so that's good. But I guess the moral of the story is that I did not, I don't know how they got this baby squirrel, whether they got it during the day and then had it hidden and figured they're going to bring it at night, because I do not believe that squirrels are out at night. But who knows? On this place here, anything anything happens. <clears throat> but another thing, just an FYI, has nothing to do with squirrels, uh, is that on last week's show, I, I, the, I the, uh, uh, hold on, excuse me. Faithy, where are you, Faithy? I don't know where she is. But anyway, uh, all right, all right. Okay, Faith, I, I, uh, I'm going to have to hit the pause button. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to hit the pause Alrighty, I'm back. That button's getting pretty good. So Faithy decided to go out after whatever, looking around. So she may come back in meowing. So anyway, I forgot. So I excuse me because I lost my train of thought with this. But anyway, I had, if you if you may recall, that last week I had to stop because I had the boiler on, and the boiler kicked on, and I wanted this microphone picks up everything if you listen to uh justin foresee's um podcast on the road that i did last week at bob ida shop i used the different microphones there i used my uh road broad uh procasters i think they're called excuse me which are dynamic mics and these this what i'm using here is a Rode nt1 which is a condenser mic but regardless both of them pick up everything and it, on the uh, on Justin's show, you could hear the traffic going past Bob by the shop if you pay attention in the background. But anyway, so I went to shut off the boiler, and then I got done with the show last week, and I went to go throw the boiler on it. As I and this is just like an FYI, but I've spoken about this before that I put a gauge on my boiler, my uh, pressure gauge, and then so I threw the boiler on, and I went over to. Uh, and I, it's, it evoked, so I happened. To, so I was right there. So I like to look at my pressure whenever I get a chance. I look at my pressure on the uh, oil pressure going into the burner, and it's supposed to be a hundred pounds. And it was a hundred pounds, but the needle had a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a quiver in it. They said that's not right. So I said, Jesus, my <clears throat> my filter should be clean. It might have suction side cavitation, or what's the, what, what's going on here? So, or, or not suction side. Yeah, that would be suction side through the filter. So, but as you may have rec recalled, that the bolts on my pump, 
they loosen up about an eighth of a turn. I don't know why. I mean, uh, why they do that? We changed the gaskets. I didn't do it for the first 15 years, <laughs> and then afterwards. So, I so the boiler's running, and I'm looking at the te- the pressure gauge, and it's got a little bit of a a little bit of a quiver. It's right, 100 pounds, a little bit. It's not rock steady. So I keep the wrenches there. It's a snap on. Uh, it's a Mac, a quarter inch box end wrench offset box end, and that's yeah, so the bolts are very small. And while the boiler is running, I snug up the, the bolts that hold the pump together. It's four bolts that hold the pump together. And they took about an eighth of a turn. I didn't. I tightened them up maybe about a month ago. It took about an eighth of a turn. And lo and behold, as I snugged them up, the, na- the needle on the gauge became rock, rock steady. So the moral of the story is with anything that you could monitor, it is always good to be able to monitor it. Uh, not that there would have been a problem, to, you know, last week with that, but you're able to tell what is going on by understanding and looking at data. So it's so important to be able to look at that data and be able to see that data. And that's why I like to, I like gauges. I don't like, you know, digital stuff or idiot lights or what have you because you can't tell what is going on. But if I didn't have that gauge on there, it eventually the uh, burner would have lost its prime and would have set the, uh, set the reset. The reset would have popped on, not set the reset, right? Reset would have popped on. So that is something. So that's why I'm a big proponent of just knowing your equipment, you know, whether it's a boiler, whether it's your combine, what have you, that if something sounds funny, if something acts funny, all right? And um, at that particular point, let's say if, if I was tightening up the pump and it did not solve that issue, right that little quiver in the gauge and it was a little bit it almost like a like a pulse a little, a little bit of a quiver and uh i wouldn't you know say this child hey we're shutting the heat off or ripping the whole thing apart no but it would have been something that i would have to pursue and keep in the back in the same thing with you say, well okay i'm not going to stop you know i'm not going to stop harvesting my crop right now because i hear that little bit of noise so that sounds a little bit funny but you wouldn't have heard the first opportunity that you will look into it because that's you that's the most important thing is for you to be able to understand what's going on and see what's going on without hard data hard numbers you cannot see that right but the other thing that i wanted to just remind you that i'm going to ask you to go over to duck www.duck-design.com and check him out and send him an email please and uh, tell him what your interest is you don't have to buy anything but it is a wonderful wonderful gift and it's a wonderful gift for yourself to uh commemorate some vehicle or farm tractor or whatever car truck motorcycle whatever you have piece of farm equipment with one of his his high quality and and but inexpensive for the price of the quality uh that he would provide so check him out at duck design and and like i said you may want to just send him an email and ask him where you should look on his website because his website does have so much art automotive and farm tractor and 
and artwork on it that it's very easy for you just to get lost in there and say, well, I'm not really interested. And he has a lot of European cars on there because he is from Europe. And you say, I'm not interested in looking at an Opel Astra. I want to look at a GTO or I want to look at a, uh, a Ford Tractor. So he could send him an email. He could steer you in the proper direction. Duck hyphen design. Duck like a duck quack quack design so i ask you to please do that and do yourself a favor and uh, check it out all right wonderful gift idea for someone or a gift for yourself and let me see else i want to tell you i guess that's basically about it for right now and uh i did uh, let me see i did some service on my car the other day thank god which was long overdue on my fiesta i changed the oil cleaned the mass airflow sensor uh, clean the throttle body. Uh, I got to rotate my tires and get ready to put my snow tires on. And uh, let me see what else. Did some other stuff with a little, little odds and ends. Next one I got to hit is, I got to hit the farm tractor. I got to change the oil on that. I got to grease it, change the filters on that, get that ready for winter. And then I have to uh, do my wife's escape, which is. Uh, not, it's it's a little bit of a pain in the neck to change the oil on that because like a lot of these new oil vehicles they have this they have that aerodynamic splash shield underneath that you got to take down like a belly pan i mean it's plastic but it's a pain in the neck so um but whatever it's not the certainly not the end of the world and you know one of a pet the pet peeve of mine and i happen to have all fords but you know it's easy when if you when if you have all one brand and you complain about something that that they give the audience the impression well they're all all Ford Stinker, all Chevys are no good, those Toyotas, what have you. But uh, <clears throat> the thing basically is that I don't understand why these car companies and uh, these engine manufacturers and these farm tractor manufacturers or whatever for them in many instances have these oddball fluid capacities. I mean, so like my wife's escape, Charlotte's escape, 5.7 quarts. So, you know, make it six quarts or, or, or what have you, 5.7 quarts. I mean, my Fiesta, 4.2 quarts. My farm tractor is like 4.3 quarts. I mean, make it four and a half quarts. I mean, obviously, you have the option of putting six quarts in it when it says 5.7. You're not going to go to jail, all right? But you would tend to think that uh, if they're going to do that, then print the specification and make it five point, you'll make it six quarts. So, I mean, make it an even number. And because between, I use Mobile One 5W20, and I use Mobile One currently, and use Mobile One and everything. And, uh, but in my lawn tractor, my pressure washer, whatever other engines I have that have oil in my farm tractor, but different weights, obviously. <clears throat> but you'll make it, even my, even like my Generac, right? It takes 1.06 quarts. Not 1.6 quarts, 1.06 quarts. So you're saying, to, see if I said, you're a wacko hot rod, you could just put six quarts in it or put five, put one quarter if it says 1.06, all right? And the thing is that, well... I'm not going to say I never did that, but that really goes against my grain. So I have a uh, a nice, I'm not going to say graduate, measuring cup, a Pyrex measuring cup, and uh, 
I keep it very clean, clean it afterwards with the brake clean and get all the oil rest, and I measure it out. So, and I do the math. So my Generac has 1.06 quarts of oil in it, which I saved the bottle because they gave you a bottle of oil when I bought the Generac. And uh, it was 1.06 quart oil, so it said. And it had the clear strip on it, on the side, so you could see. I hate when they have bottles, but anybody has a lot of the agricultural chemicals. They have no strip on it, and they mark it. And you can't see. It's got this thick plastic. You can't see what's in there. So anyway, <clears throat> so I saved that bottle because I said, oh, this is going to be perfect. When I got the bottle, when I got the oil, I bought the generator. I took a, I took a white paint pen because it was a black bottle. And I marked exactly on the clear strip where it was, the 1.06 quarts, because that's a little bit empty space for expansion above it. So I said, oh, this is beautiful. I said, what I'm going to basically do is uh, I'll mark this bottle with a white paint pen. I'll put it in a plastic bag, and I'll keep it. And whenever I change oil on the generator, I'll just know I'll pour my mobile one into that bottle, up to that, pour it into the generator. Bingo, easy peasy, everything is done, right? Well, I love my wife dearly love her to death she's a gift to me all right she's could not love her anymore but my wife loves to throw things out and she loves to specifically she thinks that my desk is messy and she thinks my drawers in my desk are messy she thinks my shelf in the garage is messy and so she likes to go in there unbeknownst to me and rearrange everything and then when she rearranges everything i cannot find i said this is a controlled mess i tell her it's a it's just like anybody who plants plants soybeans knows what i'm talking about right because uh, uh, uh what did they say it's a not a controlled scatter i forgot what word they use when they're planting when they when people plant soybeans I'll think of it probably during the shows. In other words, it's it, it, a controlled spill, I think most people call it. That it doesn't have the, you know, that uh, planting soybeans is more of a controlled spill than an exact, exact operation. And so I have a controlled spill. Yeah, maybe my desk drawer looks messy, but you tell me, where is that? Boom, boom, boom. I go in and I know where it is. You go into the garage, where is this? I know where it is, right? So. Anyway, my this is back a couple of weeks ago when I was servicing the generators. My Generac bottle is gone. It's in a landfill someplace. And uh, and I wrote on the bottle because I said the bottle was, the, the container was black. I wrote on a white paint pen, do not <laughs> discard, do not discard, uh, do not save for, gener- for oil, for Generac, for generator. All right? So, and Charlotte claims that she saw that and uh, and she was quite cognizant of it. She claims on a stack of Bibles, she did not throw it out. All right, and uh, but it's no longer there. So whatever. And like I said, so she says, "No, I wouldn't throw it because I remember you had written on it, save." Right. So I said, "Well," but she gets into this mojo and uh, of, of when she starts to do stuff, and and it, I don't, and she didn't throw it out. I. I'm, I'm saying that it's in the garbage someplace, in the landfill by now. But whatever, maybe there have been a number of times where I've been wrong, where I falsely accused her of throwing something out. But 
She did not throw it out. She put it where she thought it would be. Uh, it should be, which is not where I thought it should be. And takes me. I had this great little yellow funnel. I love. I love this yellow funnel. It works for certain things. Beautiful. It's a perfect size, right? And I said, to her, "Oh, honey, where's my yellow funnel?" She said, "Oh, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it." Right? And then <clears throat> and I said, All "Right, that's gone with the wind." So, in the scheme of life, I'm not going. So, and uh, six months later, I find I said, "Why is the yellow funnel in this drawer? I never go into." She said, oh, I didn't put it there. She said, "I certainly didn't put it there." So that is uh, the way of the world. But anyway, to get back, I'm wasting time just babbling here. Is that? I don't know why they do this with this oddball, oddball oil capacities and fluid capacities. And uh, so it drives somebody like me nuts. Plus also, like, you have to end up buying more oil. Maybe that's why they have you do it. Who knows? Because you need the extra. You either have to buy extra and have something left over or shortchange it. I'm not going to shortchange it, so you have to buy extra. So... Because if you need 5.7 quarts and the jug is 5 quarts, you either have to buy an extra quart, which at that pr- at that price point for Mobile One, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and then well, you have to buy 10 quarts and then have have uh, and you know and have uh, take the 0.7 quarts out and then hopefully you could have enough for the next oil change for my Fiesta or my Ranger. So hey, that's the only problem I got in life. I got thank God. But anyway. What I wanted to talk about today is, I'm going to turn the clock back to when I was a young man and got a job, and many of you have heard this, but I'll reiterate it quickly, concisely, got a job with Allen Test Products in Fairfield, New Jersey. And what had happened, Allen Test Products was a manufacturer out of business, I've said that before on the show, of... automotive oscilloscopes and emissions analyzers and they had come out prior to me working with them they had come out with a an oscilloscope which was revolutionary in the industry and it was more than a scope it was an engine analyzer because it had an emissions analyzer it had vacuum it had other things on it right because oscilloscope is just a scope and uh, doesn't have anything else it was quite a big machine and uh, it was called the uh, it was called the Allen Smart Scope, and then they had come out with that was out for a number of years, and then just when they hired me, they were coming out with something called the Smart Engine Analyzer, which was probably one of the first digital oscilloscopes in the market, and it had a both of them had a low, very low level of artificial intelligence. I've said that before, where it would be able to look at things and make a diagnosis and so it's on the diagnosis like oh no it's the rear main seal that's leaking it was a diagnosis as far as some aspect of the engine is concerned and it always prefaced it uh by 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 suggesting and i forgot what verbiage they used and then the, the sea came out which was much smaller and had a higher level of artificial intelligence and that's when they hired me to train and demonstrate the SEA and the EPA analyzer, emissions analyzer. So what had happened is New Jersey was going into an emissions program and they patterned everything off the California bar, B-A-R, not attorney bar, Board of Air Resources, bar 84 in California. And that's what New Jersey adopted, which is very common 
one state will adopt the emission strategies or emission laws of another state. And since California is always at the cutting edge of that, ahead of the curve, most states adopt what they what California had, and then it eventually is some in Oklahoma or someplace else, or in this particular instance, New Jersey. So what had happened was that they hired me, and it was a wonderful, wonderful job. I absolutely loved it. I worked in a Buick dealer prior to that, which was an excellent learning experience, but I really didn't didn't enjoy it. I I I, I love I like to work, so it's, I'm not gonna say I didn't enjoy it once I got comfortable with it. But uh, but it it, it wasn't a hundred percent my cup of tea. Right, work. It just the environment. Um, they didn't really want you to do a great job. It, it was all right. Who is this now? Meowing. Hold on. Who's that? That must be. That must be Molly. I don't know where she is. But anyway, so. Uh, okay, hold on for a minute. Excuse me. All right, let me go. Let me go see what's going on. Hopefully, God willing, this pause button works again. Here, ready? I'm back. So hopefully, that is the last interruption, and I apologize for it. But I guess Molly realized that Faith is outside, and she may be missing out on something. But, but the other outside also. So it should be pretty copacetic, as we say in New Jersey. So anyway, they hired me, and it was a wonderful job. I loved it. I was uh, blessed to learn a lot, get a lot of exposure to things, to people, met a lot of people, uh, learned how to teach classes, and uh, made a, uh, made excellent money. It, it seemed like back years ago it was easier to make money. Right? I know it was easier to make money in agriculture, but in most aspects of life it was easier to make money. At least from my perspective, it was. So anyway, what I'm getting at is that the smart engine analyzer, Alan SEA, had what was called a, an all systems test or complete systems test or something. I forgot the verbiage that they used. And what you did is that you, you have to remember back then years ago, these were carbureted cars some fuel injected vehicles basically carbureted some of them were non majority of them were non-feedback carburetors or they could have been feedback carburetors but they were relatively uh, simple vehicles or simple engines i should say whether it was a cadillac or a volkswagen or what have you it made no difference so what this complete systems test or all systems i think a complete systems test did because this unit had, as I said, a level of artificial intelligence. You would you would program it. You would tell it what you were working on, and uh, you just needed to tell it the the uh, the, the firing order, and then uh, the number of cylinders, and maybe one or two other questions. And it used a light pen. I don't even think those are around anymore. It was it was like Star Trek technology to me. I mean, you use this light pen, and that's how you program the. The, uh, on the uh, CRT, it was a CRT screen, and then you programmed it, and, and then what do you tell all systems test, and it would, and you would hook it up to the engine, and the end, the hookups to the engine were battery positive and negative, that had an inductive clamp for amperage draw that would go on to the negative side of the battery or the positive cable, the negative cable or the positive cable, but it had an arrow on it, so you had to follow the electron flow. All right, so you would put you would put it on if it was uh, 
if it was the uh, negative side of the cable, it went towards the ground. If it was the positive side, positive cable, excuse me, not positive side, because they recognized that uh, some vehicles you may be able to get easily to one cable or the other, even back then. And then you, oh, let me see what else it had. So you did that. You always connected a, a what they called a sync probe, a synchronization probe, which is an inductive probe also. It was like an alligator. You pressed that and you opened it up. And that always went around the number one spark plug wire because uh, you no, you didn't have to put the firing order in. Excuse me. You, you, you didn't have to put the firing order in. So if it said cylinder three, if you were reading cylinder three, that was the third cylinder in the firing order, then you would have to know what the firing order was. I'm trying to go back in my memory. And then there was a vacuum transducer, and it was a little, it was a black box with a port on it, and you would go to manifold vacuum with that full-time vacuum. So let me see, you had, and then you had the negative side of the coil for RPM, <clears throat> which was the green lead. It's always the green lead, the negative side of the coil. Even today, if you would get a tack and well meter, that's an industry standard negative side of the coil. And then the battery leads were yellow for positive and black for negative. And you say, well, red, it's positive. But back then, that was the international standard. And we, this, these machines were made in Michigan, but sold around the world. So that's why the international standard was yellow was positive and black was negative. I didn't know that until I went to go work there. So let me just go over. You had uh, the battery the battery cable, the two leads on the battery, the volt, the 12 volts on the battery, the vacuum, and then you had the uh, the tax signal, and then there was, this, uh, there was a, a beautiful dial-back timing light that was connected to the machine. And then, <clears throat> so it would prompt you on this test, and the first thing it did was a cranking test. And you would it, would, it would, it had a remote button, and you would press the button, and it would say, okay, crank the engine. And you would and you would crank the engine. You could tell the button was on a long cable, and you took it into the passenger, into the driver's side with you. Then you'd crank the engine, no throttle. It would ground the ignition, and what it would do is it would measure the cranking amperage and the cranking RPM. So it would it would look at through its artificial intelligence. It would look at the voltage that the battery maintained during crank the cranking amperage and then the cranking rpm <clears throat> but also what so it did that and then it would allow the engine to start and then you were instructed as soon as it starts to raise the rpm up over i think it was 2500 rpm because it wanted to look at the alternator output and look at the diode pattern on the alternator and the response of the voltage regulator because when you crank the engine for 15 or 20 seconds you took the surface charge off the battery and you started to degrade the battery and then it would look at the alternator how quickly the battery would, would how quickly the alternator would respond to that and the battery would respond to coming back and then it would go through all these all these different tests and there was what was called a snap throttle test and what it would do is that it would instruct you to snap the throttle and it would look at the rpm the delta in the rpm which is the change in the rpm from an idling so you went once to the floor like this you have to, i used to tell people when i taught you don't have to go to five thousand rpm you need to whack it to the floor quickly and release whether it's a four cylinder or an eight cylinder engine and it would and if you didn't snap the throttle fast enough or the rpm was lazy 
coming up, it would, ask, it, would, it would instruct you on the screen to do it again. It snap throttle again, insufficient RPM change. All right, and then you do it again, and what it did is a qualifier. It had an algorithm. I use that, th- that word very often on this show and on the radio show. And it would look at the change in RPM and would also look at the vacuum drop-off because, remember, we had that transducer hooked up to the vacuum, the manifold vacuum, full-time vacuum and then also it would look at the spark plug load the on uh, it would look at how many volts it took to light the spark plug and it would look at the spark plug load uh spark plug voltage under load and it would analyze the scope pattern of the spark plugs firing under load right and then it would tell you to do a timing test and then it would uh it would tell you to that you had to manually unless it had a magnetic pickup on it. a lot of vehicles back in the 80s had a magnetic pickup and you just put a probe in there <clears throat> it looked like a like a sleeve and there was a holder down by the by the harmonic dampener for a magnetic pickup and some foreign engines had that but it was in the bell housing so let's say i think maybe it was a volkswagen it was in the bell housing or anyway whatever so <clears throat> you did this and told you to raise up the rpm and then two other things it did which i i didn't tell you about yet all right is that it did a power balance test and so it instructed you to raise the rpm and set the rpm to about 2500 rpm 2500 and uh it also had this neat little like jack screw uh throttle opening tool and you could set the rpm up or put it on the fast idle cam it was a carburetor and then it would do a power balance test so it would go and it would kill each cylinder one at a time and would watch out watch how much the rpm dropped and if it didn't like it it would go back and kill it again so it wanted to see how much power each cylinder was contributing and uh it looked at the emissions and it also uh on that cranking test right in the beginning when we when it when it told you to do when i said it did the cranking of the uh the battery voltage on why i'm off kilter here the cats got me i'll blame the cats but anyway uh but it would not only look at the cranking rpm and cranking speed I mean, rpm and cranking voltage and amperage but it would look at it was able to identify through that sync probe the cranking amperage on every cylinder so what you did it was a it was a basically it was a quasi cranking compression test but instead of looking at cylinder pressure it basically looked at how many amperage per cylinder so it was very very and then at the end it went it was uh, it was uh, another test that went through and then at the end it would tell you to shut it off and it gave you a printout and it would say the okay fine you know possible worn spark plug on cylinder two this that whatever you know low cranking rpm and so it gave you some you know everything was always possible 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 right and it gave you so it was diagnosing the vehicle and then in its manual mode it had a, a lot of wonderful wonderful screens uh it had an ignition uh primary ignition screen had a secondary ignition screen but it specifically had on the fuel systems it had what they call the carburetor adjust screen all right and what it did is that it gave you a tachometer it was a digital 
uh, a digital tack. Well, it wasn't a digital tachometer. Digitally, it showed you the RPM, and then underneath it, it had big, these were big numbers. All right, so let's say your RPM was 600 to 605. All right, and then what it basically did is it showed you on the carb adjust screen as you were adjusting the carburetor the percentage of RPM increase or decrease. And that's really what you look at. I mean, you, know, you, you see people, there's videos out there, people how to adjust the carburetor. People don't know how to adjust the carburetor. And they use a vacuum gauge. And uh, that is fine, all right, if you have nothing else, all right. But a vacuum gauge, it does not have enough resolution. Or do you really want to use a tune-up style tachometer to adjust the mixture on a carburetor? Because it's uh its graduations will be five or six rpm five or six rpm you're not going to see on a vacuum gauge all right so anyway but what this did is it read it in percentage so if you're tweaking the mixture screws you could say okay you got a 1.7 percent increase all right so and even if you had a tachometer that was at a tune-up style tack that was down at five rpm increments right on the on the on the sweep of the needle it still may be hard to see this oh it was fantastic it had other screens which i don't even remember but the point <clears throat> that i'm getting at is that i honestly believe that that was the high water mark for diagnostics on on spark ignition engines that that machine and that error was the high water mark because what it did and even though i had it when i went to go work for them i had experience with with obviously was experienced doing things working on engines fixing stuff carburetors fuel injection what have you but i never was i never collectively gleaned so much data at one time plus also what it allowed the operator to do and that particular instance it was me is to look at things that i never looked at before so you know how wonderful that 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 cranking compression test was looking at amperage from the starter instead of going through basically you needed to hook up four wires to do a cranking compression test and on a, back then on an old carbureted ford or gm car or chrysler that took you like three minutes took you longer to get the wires off the boom and then open the hood then to hook it up and you had it yes can you correlate that cranking compression let's say if the cranking amps if it was a uh, 200 amps and, and, and the cylinder to, to cylinder pressure no but like a lot of diagnostics you just want to see if there's uniformity and you want to see if there's a problem and where the problem is all right it was not meant to replace a compression gauge but a, a very quick and accurate identifier of what is going on inside the engine <coughs> so what was wonderful about that is and i went nuts when i saw this I remember I was a young guy. I went nuts when I saw it because I had gone out to Long Island. I think it was called Lake Ronkonkoma. I tried. I looked it up today before I did the show. They called it Ronkonkoma. I called. I think it was. They called it. I never knew where a lake was. I never saw a lake. But anyway, Sun Electric was out there, and I took a class long before I I worked for Allen Test Products when I was still in school. And I took a class out in Lake Ronkonkoma, of course, that's what I called it. And it was at Sun Electric, and it was right off the Long Island Expressway. 
out there. There was like a like a, a I don't want to say industrial park, a row of buildings, kind of those, what it was fairly new at the time. It was fairly remote, uh, fairly quasi-rural house in Long Island back then. It was, I'd say it was probably about 130 miles from the farm. And uh, I think it was, I was trying to think whether it was, I was young, so it didn't make a difference. Uh, one, it was at least one time a week and maybe two times a week. It may have, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays for for four weeks or eight, maybe six weeks. Maybe it was 12 classes twice a week. So I had a 68 Dodge Dart. I told you a story before with a Slant 6. And I used to leave the farm because the, the class was in the evening. And I used to drive from the farm way the heck out to Long Island, <clears throat> which why well, I say I you couldn't do it today because of traffic. <clears throat> Back then, there, there was... I mean, I'm not gonna say there was no traffic, but you rolled at the speed limit, not this bumper to bumper stuff. It would take me nine, 97 hours to get there today. And I would go to the class, and I think the class let out maybe nine or 10 o'clock at night, and then get in my Dodge Dart and, uh, and drive all the way back to the farm. And, uh, like I said, it, I, it was, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, it was wonderful experience. I learned a lot. And Steve Mercaldo was the instructor of that program. And he also, at the time, had, was writing for Popular Science. And uh, he was writing automotive articles for Popular Science. And I think he had a repair shop. But anyway, so I had, so I had, so I had learned oscilloscopes. My first exposure to oscilloscopes was with Steve Mercaldo at Sun Electric. And then I learned more over at AC Delco with Mr. Richard Hip, and then I learned more on my own. But anyway, but that was that was like saying an old plate planter versus electric meters with uh, with uh, with individual downforce and and then seed sense and <clears throat> and Keaton seed firmers. <clears throat> so that the old sun scopes they were very good, uh, but. They just did things. It was a scope, or it was a, you know, this was an emissions analyzer. You want to buy emissions? It wasn't collectively in the one in one unit, which the Allen uh, test products was, which had, which was a lot of vision on their part. They had some very, very smart people working for them on both sides of the aisle. Smart people as far as understanding engines and diagnosing engines were concerned, and then smart people being able to make. The electronics and the test equipment. So the 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 engine guy, right? The the would work with the electronics guy and say, "This is what we need to do." And neither one knew the other one's job. In other words, the, the electronic guy was electrical engineer, and the, the the engine guy said, "This is what we need to do." And he said, "Oh, and he would make a circuit board for that." So it was really wonderful because it was a true meeting of the minds. But the point that I'm getting at is that. This collective approach was something that I had never seen before. And honestly, the industry didn't see it before. Because you would take an engine, take a car, pickup truck, what have you, it was gasoline, didn't work on diesels, and you would go through this complete systems analysis. And even if you were an excellent mechanic, an excellent diagnostician, like I said, it showed you things that very easily that you would not know about the engine without doing this whole test protocol. And 
Why I think it was the high water mark is because you were able to find things, let's say, uh, going back to that carburetor adjust screen, you could find the most, they gave you a propane enrichment setup with that kit. All right, people say, oh, there's no more carburetors. How do I go to hell? <laughs> well, the thing basically is, yes, there isn't, right? But the idea of an individual cylinder vacuum leak is still there. So what it would do, it would instruct you and how it would look at that, all right, is that if you were a good scope man, you didn't need this machine, but what it basically did was made everything like a chopping corn head on a combine. It just was one pass, made everything simple. So what you could do is they gave you a propane enrichment tool, which was like a Burns-O-Matic, modified Burns-O-Matic torch, and you put a propane, and then you would go around, let's say, like the intake manifold runners, and you would go into that carburetor or adjust screen and you say look at look i'm picking up two percent two percent in rpm here all right i'm picking up one and a half percent over here i'm picking up nothing so you knew that you had a minute leak there so it allowed you to see so many things like a soil test all right looking at or an oil analysis look at but the thing was it was it was the the data to achieve that data was so simple and so easy granted the machine was expensive but to achieve that data and then analyze that data and then that took my being able to see this like like a like a farmer being able to read us see a soil test for the first time and then learn how to read it, it took my skill sets to a much higher level because it was like a wish list for me wow i can look at this wow i can look at that wow it's just so it's just fantastic or i didn't even know what that meant but now i can look at it and i understand it and the point that i'm getting at is that just like in i know i have some people that are doctors that are listening to the show veterinarians in the medical profession and this is once again it's the world according to ray i personally think that there was better medical care years ago because you had a family doctor all right, it was your family doctor, general practitioner, or whatever. Now they call them what family medicine. They never call them general practitioners anymore. At least in New Jersey, they only said internist. Well, I, years ago, an internist was you had trouble with your stomach or your gut or something. Now they call them internists. But anyway, at least they do here. So maybe an eye of what they don't. But you know, the doctor knew you, and the doctor looked at everything collectively. He looked at you and and uh, he said, no, 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 this is, you know, I know my nickname is Butch. I know Butch, he just doesn't like, his body doesn't like this or responds this way. And uh, <clears throat> he looked at everything collectively. And subsequently, the medic, there's no denying the medical community has advanced, but it advanced in particular disciplines. You have a guy who's a cardiologist. You have a guy who's this, is, and and then the general practitioner or whatever internist. All right, he hardly even exists anymore. And uh, and then, but there's no collective approach to it. Well, I got I my I geez, I think you should go to a cardiologist. The guy says you go to a cardi the cardiologist doesn't know what the heck the in, the other guy is doing or what the urologist is doing. He just cares about himself. And then why i'm saying that and i'm saying it respectfully to the medical community i don't mean to in, in, mean to to step on anybody's toes or just the way of the world today and uh the thing is that nobody took a collective approach and what happened is this and this allen sea smart engine analyzer 
took a collective approach to everything. Whereas prior to that, you would say, well, maybe the, I don't know, let me try to adjust the carburetor and we run, okay, it's running smoother, it's running better, let me adjust the points or what have you. But it looked at everything. I mean, in that, also in that snap throttle test, it looked at for distributor wear in the bushing because it looked at the point opening signal. And in those manual screens are fantastic because it was, and it would look at the point opening signal. If the point opening signal opened, varied more than a degree or two, then it would say that there's a, that, you know, check the distributor bushing because the distributor bushing is one where the points are bouncing. So it was a wonderful, wonderful one. And why I say it was the high water bark is that even at that particular point though the engines let's say you put a 67 plymouth on it all right uh when that complicated there was that synergistic effect that an engine has that a human being has that an animal has that a plant has all right that synergy. so yeah well geez if the crankcases was loaded with gasoline and you had the mixtures and you adjusted the mixture screws to compensate for not knowing the crankcases loaded with gasoline and the pcv valve is pulling up all of the the hydrocarbon fumes from the oil pan of course it's loaded with gasoline and you adjusted the carburetor ran beautifully and then you went and changed oil and the engine was too lean it was running rough all right so the thing is that there was always that synergy there but the point that i'm getting at that's why i made the segue with the medical community is that today these engines whether they're gasoline or diesel are more synergistic and synergistic and need to work together than they did back then and we do not have to my way of thinking a piece of equipment that works the way the old allen smart engine analyzer did nor give you those manual screens so this is probably somebody out there who works with whoa 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 hot rod you don't know what you're talking about because i work for a ford dealer i work for a gm dealer that we could do a cylinder kill we could do this yes you could do certain aspects of it but but it's a computer looking at it not you looking at it and you could not do it all collectively and i know that a lot of modern engines can do a cylinder balance test they could do that they could do to a certain extent a cranking test which to tell you the truth they copied the old allen sca but the fact of the matter is is that uh they're not what was gr- what, yes could you could you have done all of this manually yes you could but the whole idea with diagnosis and with anything is to try to get data as quickly and as unobtrusively as possible and this allowed you to do it and the thing is that for instance i'm going to get go back and just talk about the you know the the uh, alternator test on there when after after you cranked the engine and ran the surface charge off the battery and then it started and it watched the battery voltage and instructed you raise it up to 2500 rpm looked at the alt and looked at the diode pattern is that how many shops today are checking a diode pattern on an alternator they're not all right and how many shops back then checked the diode pattern on the alternator well there was the equipment to check the diode pattern is the equipment today to check the diode pattern but what it basically did and this is what i'm leading you down this primrose lane to think about what it basically did it caused you that allen all systems test caused you to look at everything everything so now all of a sudden it comes up and it tests and says to you, 
possible weak diode in the alternator. So now the light bulb goes off. And well, weak diode in the alternator. Well, Mrs. Jones was complaining about this. She was complaining about that when she sat in traffic with the headlights on and the wipers on and the and the uh, and the uh, defroster on and the heater on and the rear window defroster that the car would start to run rough and possibly stall. But on a nice sunny day, it didn't stall. It ran beautifully. All right. So you were. It was showing you things that you would normally not look at so that it would not be an advanced level test that you would do because the, the human nature being what it is well you know this person says i'm not gonna look at well, you already look at the old man it's charging the battery's not going dead what have you and i f- know in my heart of hearts that today with the with the the interaction of all of the functions of an engine and a transmission today is so because it's a it's not called an engine control it's called a powertrain controller it controls the engine controls the transmission all right is that if you were to have some of the problems minute problems and they collectively come together just like an old person or, or an animal and they say well they died of old age well the heart was weak and then they got this they got that this was a little bit weak that was a little bit weak and they succumb to something is that i the, am i saying do you go out and buy an allen sea well you can't go buy an allen sea because they haven't made them for 30 years all right and if they did they would not work on a newer engine with the re- the distributor ignition or direct coil coil and plug and what have you and but but that concept of looking at different things is something that you could do without spending the money to go to if that piece of equipment existed all right so let's say it does exist i'm not saying you go out and buy it but what i'm asking you to do is to think out of the box and i always say that and it gets to be like almost like a a talking point of this show but when you haven't if and and you're gonna have to make some level of investment some equipment otherwise you're not gonna just like if you don't have a planter you can't dig you know put corn seed in the ground without a planter right you could take a dig a hole and a stick and push it in the ground like the pilgrims did but right but that's not practical so the thing is that but i want you to think of how everything can interact and not look at i'm going to pick on the medical community and look at it in one dimension oh i'm a cardiologist all i care is about your heart i don't care what i gave you that killed your liver the heck with you i don't care about that and i'm not saying that they say that but ultimately that's the end result is that but with the the synergy of everything that happens today on a modern piece of farm equipment a modern truck a modern semi and yet we are being uh i we're we're responding we're being let me see how if how the medical community words because i think it's we're treating the symptom and not looking for the cause i may have that worded incorrectly but we're treating the symptom okay today and i have i have to keep knocking the medical community i'm sorry but you know okay you know you uh your back hurts okay here's a painkiller right so that's like saying going to somebody to make it the ridiculous analogy following zig ziglar you go into into a shop and you're a doctor and the guy's got a a, a, a pair of well, i shouldn't say you go he go guy let's better 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 modified story 
modified fake story. The guy's got a vice grip on his finger. He goes, doctor, 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 my finger, it's a terrible pain, ah, terrible, tell my finger, it's all right. So what, the, what they're doing today in the medical community is going, okay, fine, here's a painkiller for you, right? Instead of the guy saying, well, let's look why your finger hurts. Oh, look, buddy, you got a vice grip on your finger. Let's take the vice grip off and let's treat that. And then let's see what happens. No, so what they're basically doing is they're treating the 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 symptom they're not looking for the cause and that is a common mistake i'm not gonna knock the medical community anymore today today is the operative word but that's what we're doing with diagnosis all right the engine is doing this the transmission is doing this the air conditioner is doing this the combine header is doing this the sprayer is doing this and that's why i started the story or the episode today about talking about when i threw my boiler back on last week after after the show when i shut it off and i looked at it and it, it started right away and i looked at the pressure gauge and i saw the quiver in the pressure gauge all right so i said what let's pick the whole low-hanging fruit first let's snug up the pump and that was the problem so now the thing is that you need to look at things and what's wonderful in my estimation about being in the agricultural community being a farm being a ranch being whatever a fleet right is that you are what they call in the auto industry captive so in other words you're a farmer so that equipment is yours you're not looking to make money trying to fix equipment you're looking to keep your equipment on the road you have a fleet of semis all right you're looking to keep your fleet on the road all right you have cattle you're looking you're not looking to become a veterinarian you're looking to keep your cattle healthy all right so the thing is that so that's a captive a captive fleet or captive equipment captive animals in that particular sense so it's very hard for you to be in a business and that's what was so wonderful about this allen sea because you could charge i think people were getting 40 or 50 dollars at the time many years ago to do a complete systems analysis so it's like, say a hundred dollars it was nowhere near a hundred dollars say a hundred dollars then you could charge mrs jones a hundred dollars all right, and you could have a full overview of the engine and its subsystems on that on that car, that pickup truck, what have you. You could give her a printer, a printout. It used thermal paper. It had a, a printer built inside. You could give her that. You could put in your files, and in a, in a half hour's time, you have a basic overview, a very accurate overview. Now, if you were to try to do that on a per uh, piecemeal basis like a la carte like ordering something off a menu could you have done it yes but you would have spent a lot of time you still would not have been able to glean as much information as you did during that all systems test and you'd have to spend the person would spend a lot of money and just to find out that everything is okay or this little thing is not okay and they didn't have a problem so were you having a captive fleet and yes i know you are you're in harvest right now i'm not saying you go out and start to do this right now but when you schedule and i see that with i, I see that with my own, my own life all right uh 
I'm bad at it, and, and most of us are bad at it. Right? The thing is that when you have the opportunity in the downtime, if you go through your engines, your equipment, your combine, your sprayer, right, and you go through it from stem to stern the best that you can, and you say, okay, fine, I'm going to buy an alternator tester. All right, I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm. You know, a lot of. A, a, uh, a lot of this equipment is available to a certain extent individually, right, without spending a ton of money. But look at things you don't normally look at. Don't be with your equipment in the farm shop, the doctor that looks at the vice grip on the guy's finger and says, okay, we could give you an injection and a painkiller to get rid of that pain. And say, why the hell is this vice grip here? What are you doing with this vice grip on your finger, buddy? All right. And the thing is that let's take this vice grip off and go from there. And you will find that not only will it be a wonderful education, and like I said, I'm going back again, it's a captive captive fleet. Most farmers have a captive fleet of equipment that they can afford to do this when they have the time, all right? So they could say, oh, I'm going to go through the, you know, I know a lot of guys that listen to dairymen, they big big dairy operations. They got loaders, caterpillar loaders, all right, and they that they use to feed cattle, and uh, they got big planters, they got big tractors, all right, all right some of them small planters, small tractors. It makes no difference, all right? But if you go through this and schedule, schedule things properly and start to look at things that you never looked at before just like I, i'm gonna how many of you all right raise your hand like i could see it how many of you and i'm just you and I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn by no means please know that if you have an oil burner in your house like i do i don't care whether it's hot air or hot water base you know with makes no difference is burning oil number two oil for heat how many of you have a pressure gauge on it now, probably I would say none of you, and maybe you did do have a pressure gauge, and kudos to you, all right? But the thing is that, so yes, there's a test port there, and you could use them just like the, with a manual gauge on an engine. You could say, well, there's a test port I could take it out, and I could, I could check the oil pressure, right? Versus an oil pressure gauge that's built into the dashboard, all right? If you have an oil pressure gauge that's built, you could constantly monitor it. So how many of you have an oil, have a pressure gauge on your oil burner to check the, the pump pressure? All right? So the thing is that if I did not have that, mine didn't come with it. If mine did not have that, I would not be able to foretell a problem with the pump or a problem with my feed or a problem with my filter or, or, or all of the above. All right? So the thing is that today's equipment is so interrelated with everything and yet what we've done is is a big cavern that has been formed that we don't look and we look at things through an obd2 scanner and there's good data there i'm not going to say there's, that there's not good data there all right and they were able to accomplish a lot there if you have a good scanner you have a 69 dollar scanner from harbor freight you're not doing that and lots of times that's proprietary scan access that you cannot do it all right and sometimes you can but the thing is that before i get ready to close here is that it's to me it's very very disheartening and confusing and it's not your fault it's not the auto mechanics fault it's not the farmer's fault it's not the diesel mechanics fault is that the that back years ago 
that the industry, and kudos to Allen Test Products, and kudos to Sun, but Allen took it to a higher level, is that they recognize that we have to give the the, the people working on these engines, these mechanics, they call them technicians, right? We have to give them a tool that they could look at this, look at these different aspects of the engine quickly and easily, but also recognize that interaction between them and that is probably what i learned more with my employment at allen test products and using the smart engine analyzer for years and teaching it and diagnosing vehicles and going through all of that is that interaction and it, it just like when you if you're an agronomist or you grow crops you know about about nutrient tie-up right in the soil so for you to only look and say i have enough boron or i have enough calcium or i have enough magnesium or i have enough molly in there all right and not understand the dynamics of tie up and look and say wait you could have all the molly you want and i'm using that as an example but if it's tied up with something else and there's a whole chart that i mean i'm not an agronomist all right that shows you this ties up with this or your ph is off right and then when your ph is off then even if you have enough of of a certain nutrient it can't get into the plant it's 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 not plant available well that's basically what's happening with equipment so what we're basically doing as an industry not you not me is that we've made things more more complicated more interrelated and we're not looking at anything so we're not looking at anything collectively and the take-home message here once again i'm repeating it is that I'm asking you to have a thought process of looking at things collectively. You have a modern transmission, all right, that's electronically controlled, all right, and you have a weak diode in the alternator, and you're feeding that transmission controller unrectified or partially unrectified AC. I cannot tell you how that's going to respond. I cannot. I remember we had with the Allen Smart Scope, I mean, smart engine. As a, we had a, th- I had a throttle body, Ford Tempo, two point five liter throttle body Ford Tempo. All right, that had a problem. It was stalling intermittently. All right, and it would run fine, and it would then one, it would stall, and then uh, it would run fine for a couple of days and stall five days, five times a day, what have you, and it had a weak diode in the alternator we found now if you had the presence of mind could you have done a diode test without a, an alternator pattern test without a smart engine analyzer? of course you could but would you have the presence of mind of checking that and then what what i learned from that is that yes i was i went to school i understood oscilloscope or what have you but if i had a car that ran fine and then intermittently stalled i would not look at the alternator output but that all systems test forced me to look at the alternator output and look at the not only the output but look at the diode pattern on the alternator all right and then the diode pattern on the alternator when the alternator got hot the diode used to fail was was weak and used to pass current both ways had a blip in it and that is what the problem was with that with that car it needed a diode in the alternator (laughs) 
that's all it needed. It didn't need a new motor like they want. It didn't need all of the stuff that they, well, they didn't try to sell that person a new motor. They sold them everything else under the sun, but the alternator, because the battery never went dead, the headlights were bright, the radio worked, it started all the time, it cranked well, but that alternator had a bad dial. So I just want you to think about it and think about the complexity of all of the equipment that you have today and we're reaping the benefit the harvest of this complexity i'm not going to say that it's easier to farm you could farm more acres we have higher yields we have all of that but the thing is that what is missing from my from my vantage point is the interaction of this complexity and how something you know uh happens in one area of the piece of equipment whether it's an engine whether it's a hydraulic system whether it's in your in the header of your combine whether it's the pump on your sprayer what have you that once something happens there all right and something happens there and and it has nothing to do with it's the device grips on the finger and the guy's in pain but it has nothing to do with what the symptom is and what the result is so this the reason for it the the is is nothing to do with the way it presents as a symptom and you know if i look in my firebox going back to my boiler because it's very simple it's a hydraulic system right with the pump and i like to try to and please know that i'm not bragging i'm not trying to tout myself up right by no means i'm just giving you examples of things so i like to look in the firebox i take my pocket knife out and i when the boiler's running look at the pressure look at the firebox all right and then if you and i'm not a boiler man all right <laughs> so full disclosure but if that pump starts to loosen up and i get that quiver a little bit on that pressure gauge all right it's quivering it's not quivering all over like a uh, it's quivering uh, just a hair right is that you could see when you look at the firebox and open up the firebox that the flame is not as constant that the that that, that it's not the it, it's it's not i mean is it bad no it's like a, it's not talking to you right because a flame talks to you in a boiler flame talks to you in a, in a, in, a, in a wood stove a flame talks to you in a fireplace right so the thing basically is it is it talking to you it's not talking to you, but you could see it it's, it's just not right it's it's just not right and then you say oh look at my pressure all right and you say and then you tighten up the pump in that particular instance and now the flame is the pressure is beautiful and the flame is beautiful it's dancing the top of the flame is dancing to the same part when it dances it dances as uniform as it possibly can inside that firebox same thing as you look at a scope you look at you look at you look at the firing voltage of the with the, the what they call ionization voltage that that's going to give you a telltale that's not telltale it's going to it's a canary in the coal mine if you have fuel distribution problems then that's that 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 ionization voltage that firing voltage is going to dance up and down it's going to be like like a, the flame in a flame box of a boiler all right when it's not getting fed properly with, with the fuel with the oil in this particular instance well if you have a gas boiler and right and you're looking and the, and the gas regulator so there's a lot of telltale signs there is it concrete no but there's a lot of telltale signs but you have to know what looks good so you could know what looks bad and you also have to have the mindset of thinking out of the box and saying well what else can affect this 
what else can do this and then you need to look at it and for instance yes going back to that tempo that forward tempo right the fact of the message sometimes it ran great or it could run great for days and then act up five times in one day because it was dependent upon the load on the alternator and it was dependent upon the temperature of the alternator if it got hotter underneath the hood maybe that diode would work better maybe it work worse who knows but the fact of the matter is if you don't check things if you don't pull a soil sample all right on your farm and you don't and, and you and, and you're just putting n p and k down and not knowing what's happening in the soil then you are not get doing your family and your farm uh, you're doing your family and farm an injustice because there's no way that you're knowing how to properly fertilize that crop you're just throwing the same stuff out there all right so the thing base is is that's what it is you need to look start to look at data look at data as best as you can i'm going to repeat it i'm not saying you go out and spend a hundred thousand dollars all right but you need to look at trends you need to sometimes like for getting back to the boiler right it's a 15 dollar gauge it's permanently mounted on there in the port where you would put a test gauge in it right so you need to look at things and you need to also say how can this be affected all right how can this be affected so can an alternator affect this can a vacuum leak affect this can a dirty injector that's not atomizing fuel affect this all right can can uh, can a, a stuck valve affect this uh, fuel in the crankcase what about my fuel pressure all right so the thing is that we as an industry as repair people are reactive we want to throw parts at something and then say, oh, we, oh i put a new this i put a new that i put it it's still on start it's still on run right the hydraulics still suck right we don't want to look at anything we want to throw parts at it like it's a flat tire and we're on the side of the road oh look the tire is flat let's jack it up put the spare on and get the heck out of here and get going right the thing basically is and and that is going to it bit people back years ago when the engines were simplistic when the farm tractors were simplistic but mark my words please and heed my warning it will bite you and most of the time when it bites it bites hard and takes a big chunk and you know where it's biting you all right so listen have a blessed day and i want to thank you so much for uh, for listening to my ramblings but please give it some thought and i want you to start to look at other things and keep a mental idea of what 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 what's happening with your equipment have a blessed day and i will god willing catch you next week bye bye